What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this insightful video I share lessons I've learned as someone who's been retired for the last three years due to dividends paying my bills. I'll also tell you something that's very personal to me that I've never shared online, and will tell you a bunch of things I've learned in the last 12 months, so I encourage you to watch this whole video. But to kick things off I ask you to first please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Now if you're new to my channel then I recommend you watch a video I recently did called my $2.8 million dividend portfolio, $100,000 of dividends per year, where I tell you about my background and how I made my money, and I show you my 27 stock dividend portfolio in Fidelity. I don't share that to brag, but instead to motivate you if you're at an earlier spot in your investing journey, as well as to show you what it took for me to retire early on dividends. My quick story is that I got a degree in math and computer science in the 90s and then started working as a programmer at a small company, which is also when I started investing in the stock market. I was 21 at the time and I told myself that I wanted to retire before age 50. Over time I had a variety of jobs in tech, but I unfortunately never worked at any of the cool places like Google or Microsoft or Apple or wherever. I liked stocks enough that I started an investment club with some friends shortly after I started my first job, and we had rules where everyone had to invest a minimum amount of cash each month into the company, money which was then used to buy mostly tech stocks, and would meet up over dinner and shout about what companies we should collectively invest in. But then the dot-com crash came and most of my friends quit investing because they took such a big gut punch when things fell. Fortunately I didn't quit, and instead decided that I'd invest more heavily into classic dividend stocks, as I witnessed how they held up better than anything else when the markets were stormy. That being said, these days I hardly care if the market crashes, as I'm now used to a lot of market swings, and since I rarely sell, then a dropping stock market is almost immaterial, especially because it doesn't impact my dividend income. Fast forward to today, and I've been in the market for about 30 years, been married for 25, have two kids, and achieved my goal of retiring in my 40s once our dividend income was more than our expenses. I've never been given a dime nor won a lottery, and instead just built up my portfolio slowly over multiple decades of contributions. Sometimes I get comments from people telling me how dividends are useless, and to be fair, their point is that when a dividend is paid out, then the stock price also gets dropped by the amount of the dividend, so all you're really getting is some automated income, which effectively is just the same as you selling some of your shares. Note, I did an entire video called, Why Dividends Are Better Than Just Selling Shares, that I recommend you watch rather than me regurgitate all those points. Anyways, the reason the stock price gets lowered is because the amount paid out in dividends no longer belongs to the company, since it got transferred to the shareholders, and so the company's market cap gets reduced by the value of its dividend payment. And tied to that, one thing I learned in the last year was that since the downward adjustment of the stock price due to a dividend payment might trigger a limit purchase order, some exchanges thus adjust outstanding limit orders. The investor can prevent this if their broker permits a do not reduce limit order, aka a DNR limit order, and apparently US exchanges allow for this but Toronto Stock Exchange doesn't. Along with that I read that stock option prices are usually not adjusted for ordinary cash dividends unless the dividend amount is 10% or more of the underlying value of the stock. Cash dividend payments reduce retained earnings by the total amount of the dividend, so when companies pay out, then that money is transferred into a liability account called dividends payable. This liability is removed when the company makes the payment on the dividend payment date, usually a few weeks after the ex-dividend date. For instance, if the dividend was 25 cents per share and 100 million shares are outstanding, retained earnings will be reduced by 25 million, and that money eventually makes its way to the shareholders. But back to the comment about dividends being useless. The reality is that there is a lot more to dividends than just that. Otherwise, do you think that the richest American ever to have lived would have loved dividends so much? Specifically, I'm talking about John D. Rockefeller, the guy who would have had an inflation-adjusted net worth of 300 to 400 billion dollars today, who once said, Do you know the only thing that gives me pleasure? It's to see my dividends coming in. So think about that. 
I'm talking about the most successful American in history, one of the wealthiest men of all time, who had an affinity for dividends. Do you think that Rockefeller was an idiot and that dividends are irrelevant and useless? Or maybe there are more to dividends than you might be giving credit for. Or maybe Rockefeller just didn't understand everything that you understand about dividends. I guess I shouldn't say you, because the people who watch my videos tend to love dividends. Now one of the things I love about dividends is the fact that I get cash flow without doing anything or needing to know anything, which is extremely important for me in my realities, which include aspects of my health, my personality, and my family. I've actually configured my Fidelity account to automatically transfer the cash dividends coming into it to go directly into my bank account, which means I have cash flowing from the companies I own going directly into my checking account, whether I'm vacationing in Disneyland or even if I get dementia and am placed in a nursing home. That also means that my wife, who knows literally nothing about stocks and is bad with numbers and finances, also benefits from automatic cash just flowing in. Now dividends aren't free money, but they honestly feel like they are as someone who's been living on them for multiple years. If you're new to my channel, then I encourage you to peruse my video library, as I've done videos like The Biggest Risk to Dividends, The Dividend Fallacy, Why Dividends Are Not Free Money, Cons of Dividend Investing, When Dividend Investing Falls Short, and other videos in hopes to present an accurate and broad perspective of dividend stocks. But the reality is that dividends have been part of our financial systems for hundreds of years, and they're one of the two main ways that companies return cash to shareholders, with the other being buybacks, which is more of an indirect way. Of course, nothing in life is guaranteed, and dividends aren't either, but if you educate yourself to their pros and cons and risks and tax implications, then I think you'll find reasons to value them like I do. These days I don't have wage income, so much of the dividend income I get from my taxable account is basically tax-free, and my overall tax rate percentage across everything last year was in the mid-signal digit percentages, so overall quite low. Anyway, each year that goes by I find myself loving my dividend stocks and the financial freedom they give me even more, and retiring is even better than I dreamed it would be. And that brings me to the most important thing I've learned over the last three years, which is that quality dividends work are the purest form of true passive income that I've ever come across, and I believe in them enough that the majority of my net worth is in decent dividend stocks, and without them I'd need to figure out another way to pay my family's bills. But you need to educate yourself by watching videos and reading books and websites and such to ensure that you don't make some of the classic investing mistakes that many new investors make, like investing in something they haven't researched enough, or not understanding how taxes might impact their investment, or not knowing what sort of brokerage account they should be investing into, or whatever. The best bet is to slow down, educate yourself, and then invest once things are more clear. Think of investing as a lifestyle, something you'll do for the rest of your life, so it's not something you need to rush into blindly. Now I put a ton of effort into getting my portfolio to this point, so blue chip investing isn't a get rich quick thing, but it is a get rich slowly thing if you stick with it for decades. And while dividend stocks have outperformed non-dividend stocks, on average, over long periods of time, I think that as long as you invest in a basket of 20 to 30 quality companies, dividends or not, then you'll probably do fine in the long run. Anyways, I started my dividend channel on YouTube as a fun hobby around four years ago with the goal of helping educate people about dividends, specifically my kids, at least once they're mature enough to care. Over time, my social media helped me appreciate the fact that I can positively influence people around the world, and another benefit I've gotten is that I've been learning how to start an online business from scratch, something I've been able to share with my kids. And with that preamble out of the way, let's quickly look at some high-level details of my portfolio infidelity for newer viewers, though watch my recent video if you want to see more info. So I took this screenshot on September 25th, and it's the summary page of my portfolio with some sensitive parts blacked out. I have about 1.22 million US dollars worth of dividend stocks in my IRA, 1.38 million in my taxable, and 166k in my wife's IRA, for a total of 2.76 million worth. 
A few people have asked me how I built up such a large retirement account since you're limited by how much you can contribute each year, and the answer is compounding in time, coupled with some employer matching contributions. And interestingly, I almost never invested the max I could contribute each year, because for a long time I didn't make enough and because I wasted too much cash on cars and computers and all that jazz, which hopefully makes you realize that the real secret is to simply invest whatever you can for as long as you can, and don't get hung up if you don't think you're investing enough. Moving on, this screen is what you see when you click on balances. If I then click in my IRA and select dividend view, you'd see this, which I sorted based on largest positions first. So Apple is what I own the most of in this account at 1,330 shares worth 234 grand, and you can see it only yields $1,276 a year. The next largest position in my IRA is Microsoft, and if I scan to the bottom of all these dividend stocks, then you'll see that my IRA generates over 34 grand a year in dividends. Another common question I often get is why do I hold some super low yielding stocks? And the answer is because I still like to own some stocks that should enable decent growth in my portfolio, though obviously as I've transitioned into retirement then income starts mattering more than growth. A big part of the reason that Apple and Microsoft are large positions in my portfolio is because they grew way faster than I anticipated, and I've not rebalanced things, which I probably should do. I classify large positions as ones over 120k, and then medium is 60k to 120k, and small is under 60k. I love both Apple and Microsoft, but it has been irking me a bit that Apple has been gimping their last few dividend hikes so much, and they seem to be favoring their buybacks much more over their dividends versus what they did before 2019. You can watch my recent video if you want to see my taxable and other retirement accounts infidelity, but now let's jump into my portfolio tracker tool. This is the first of two pages of my tickers, and you can see that Apple is my largest position worth over 300 grand when you add up my IRA, my taxable, and my wife's IRA. Microsoft is my next largest stock, followed by Altria, J&J, Realty Income, AbbVie, etc. Speaking of Realty Income, I've noticed a lot of freakout now that its share price has fallen as interest rates have gone up. It reminds me of the classic quote that goes, The stock market is the only market where things go on sale and all the customers run out of the store. What that means is that many investors love to buy when things are getting more expensive, but they often run away in fear when great bargains come up. Like when Apple fell 31% from August of 2018 until January of 2019, people were freaking out. Apple was having issues in China, and their management stopped reporting on certain aspects of iPhone financials, all of which led people to think things were getting too ugly. Suddenly people were worried that Apple's best days were behind it and the selling fervor pushed the stock down as more and more people ran away. The irony is that when quality stuff goes on sale, that's when you want to buy. Though trust me, that's easier said than done. Another recent example is ExxonMobil. Recall the pandemic caused oil demand to plummet, to the point where tankers were literally pulling up to the dock with nowhere to unload. Combine that with some OPEC shenanigans, plus people were saying that oil was dead due to EVs and blah blah blah, and XOM fell down to 32 bucks a share. A few years later it shot up to 116 bucks. So I wonder, is the same thing happening with realty income right now? I mean it's trading at a point under where it was 10 years ago. Is that the market overreacting, or are its best days behind it? I mean, any company can go bankrupt or whatever, so sometimes when people flee from a stock, it's the right move. But if you think the company can weather the storm, then buying when others are selling will probably eventually pay off. Another learning takeaway for you should be that all stocks eventually go on sale, if you're patient enough. Now I can't predict the future, but I'm personally betting that O will recover and will continue to deliver for its shareholders, but that doesn't mean you should do that. I'm not someone who likes to jump in and out of stocks based on short-term conditions, and instead I'm happy to hold and get paid for holding. That being said, let me show you something about O that might surprise the people who say it's a dog. Check out this cool tool on Seeking Alpha listed under their Momentum tab, which lets you compare stocks. The top graph is for stock price appreciation, and the bottom graph is for total returns, which includes dividends. 
and since I'm on a premium account, I can select longer time frames than the five years that free accounts are limited to, and I selected 2002, which is when VTI came into existence. So in terms of stock appreciation, we see that VTI slightly outperformed Oath since 2002, with VTI returning about 302% versus 250% for realty income. But now when you look at total returns, which is stock appreciation plus dividends, then we see that realty income comes out on top with a 991% return versus the market, which did 493%. Not bad for a dog, right? That itself should be a learning opportunity, which as Chuck at FastGraph says, valuation matters and it matters a lot. The point is don't tunnel vision on what's currently happening and instead look at longer term probable trends and then buy when things are below their intrinsic values. Another learning I want you to walk away with is that most people should forego investing in individual stocks and instead should simply invest in something like VTI and you'll most likely do better in the long run. Then once you get to a point where you need or want more passive income from dividends and assuming the dividend yield on VTI is too low for you, then you can evaluate selling out of VTI and moving some cash into solid dividend stocks. Anyways, I can understand why people are concerned about O's ability to pay its debt given high rates and we never know what the future will bring. I'm someone who's fine buying at these levels, and the more it falls the easier it is for me to buy, but just because I might do something doesn't mean you should, as my situation and risk tolerances and such are unique to me. Another common thing I see is the opposite of freakout, which is freak in, or FOMO, where something shoots up and people chase it. Like after Nvidia shot up a ton recently, I saw a bunch of people who jumped in, happily buying when it was around 500 bucks a share. Now, could Nvidia justify that valuation in a few years if things keep growing? Sure, but I don't see it right now. Then again, I've always found it challenging to properly estimate hyper-growth stocks, so maybe Nvidia is a reasonable risk. Anyways, back to the remaining positions in my spreadsheet tracker. The color coding of the ticker and the pay date field and divs per pay period tells me when my dividends are paying out. So like SCHD is highlighted in green because it's paying out on the day I took this screenshot, and things paying out within the next week are highlighted in a cyan color, which include Goldman Sachs and Travelers. Then things highlighted in yellow means they pay out within a month, so in this screenshot you see Kimberly Clark and Philip Morris have paydates within the next 30 days, and if the ticker is not highlighted, like Chevron and Southern Company and such, then that means its next payout is over 30 days away. And speaking of SCHD, which was highlighted in green, here is the SCHD dividend I got today in Fidelity for 778 bucks in my taxable account. Anyways, back to my spreadsheet, and as someone living on dividends, I find it really helpful to have those color-coded visual cues so I can quickly glean the info that I find valuable. Also notice that my overall dividends per year is a bit over $101,000 as I just got a 7.5% increase from Starbucks and a 10% increase from Microsoft in the last week and I expect to get a dividend hike announcement from McDonald's any day now. One of the learnings I had reinforced this year was that my dividends never get old and each hike I get still makes me happy. I'm not quite at Rockefeller's quote, but man do I love when those dividends come in. Another common question I'm frequently asked is how I get healthcare for myself and my family since I don't have a job. And the answer is from the healthcare exchanges, which is awesome because I'm getting pretty much the same coverage I had when I was working, only now it's cheaper than Cobra was for some reason, and it's especially cool that insurance companies have to cover pre-existing conditions now. My family lives in the suburbs of a relatively inexpensive city, so our costs are pretty reasonable. And I like being frugal, though that doesn't mean we don't spend any money at all, as we're currently planning a family vacation to Disneyland in January. One thing that has helped our expenses is that we got lucky and got a 30-year fixed mortgage at 2.625%, so our biggest cost is relatively manageable. And it blows my mind every month knowing that my mortgage is getting paid by my dividends. And in fact, since part of my monthly payment goes towards principal, it also means that my dividends are building my equity up in my house for me, which is pretty cool. Speaking of mortgages, another learning I had last year is that some mortgage lenders let you transfer your 30-year fixed, or whatever rate you have, when you're selling your house to a buyer. 
So your low mortgage rate can actually be another selling point as the buyer basically would take on your loan along with whatever loan terms and duration you had left. So given mortgage rates have jumped up to 8%, then if I ever sell I hope I'll be able to use my low rate as another negotiating chip. Anyways, I estimate that my dividend income will grow between 5% to 7% a year just from dividend hikes. So other than last year's crazy 8-9% inflation, I've gotten to see my dividend income keep trending up in overall buying power, even though I turned my drips off once I started living on dividends. When I look over the last few decades, I've fortunately had only a handful of stocks that ever had to cut their dividend, and when that happens then I usually sell and move into something else. Now I'm still about a decade away from normal retirement age, so that means that I pay a 10% penalty tax on dividends that I withdraw early from my retirement accounts, and I pay taxes on the dividend income itself. Paying taxes kinda sucks, but it actually doesn't bother me that much as I feel it's pretty awesome to finally take some value out of my IRA rather than just keep contributing to it. And my dividend accounts really do feel like money trees that just keep printing. I bet Powell would be proud. Another comment I sometimes hear is people say that dividends suck because of taxes. Well that can be true, but it can also not be true. Like a married couple can make something like 117 grand a year of qualified dividends in a taxable account and owe zero dollars in federal income taxes. That doesn't sound sucky to me. But if you have job income then the math changes and it's not as good. Still, you could hold dividend stocks in a retirement account to avoid dealing with taxes, generally speaking. Taxes are obviously a complex topic and are often nuanced based on a slew of factors that include where you're from, where you live, the ticker in question, how long you've owned the ticker, your marriage status, the account type, your other income, etc. But it's incorrect to make a blanket statement to say dividends stock due to taxes. Again, spend some time understanding the basics of dividend taxation so you aren't surprised by an unexpected tax bill so you can optimize things as makes financial sense for you. Okay, and another comment I'm getting these days is that money market accounts are yielding like 5%, so why even have a dividend portfolio? My answer to that is if you have some spare cash and you've not built up a portfolio, then holding it in a high yield account probably makes sense. But if I sold my taxable account and moved it into a money market account, then I'd owe a ton of capital gains. Plus, while money markets are good right now, in the long term I think stocks will continue to outperform cash, and it's challenging to consistently time the markets to know when to sell and buy back in, thus I just tend to buy when stocks are cheap, and then I hold through high or low rates. It's less stress and time for me to doing that, but you do you. Okay, back to my retirement accounts. Now one way I could avoid paying the penalty tax due to early withdrawals is if I do a 72T, which is an IRS code that allows penalty-free withdrawal of assets in IRAs under certain conditions, and I plan to talk to my tax guy this year to ensure I'm understanding them correctly. The upside to doing one is that I would avoid the 10% penalty, but the downside is I'd have to start selling stocks in my IRA and then take out that cash, which would then be a taxable event, but then after I paid the taxes I could buy whatever stocks I wanted in my taxable account. However, there's another option I've been thinking about, specifically with my Apple and Microsoft positions in my IRA. So instead of starting to liquidate my IRA, I could instead move my Apple and Microsoft IRA positions into some other stocks, like bump up my SCHD position more, increase my realty income position more, maybe even start new positions in something like Devo and or Jeppy. Doing that would let me increase my annual dividend income. I'd have no tax loss implications that a 72T would have. It would take my Apple and Microsoft positions more in line with what I originally wanted them to be at and would put SCHD and Realty Income as my largest positions. A downside of doing this would be that my portfolio's appreciation growth would invariably lessen over time, but that's a secondary consideration for me at this point in my life. By the way, I recommend you watch a video I did called SCHD vs. Jeppy vs. Devo vs. VTI Who Wins to hear my thoughts on all those tickers. The guy who runs Devo is named Kevin Simpson, and he's an investor that I seem to really see eye to eye on, and I actually like Devo's holdings more so than SCHD's, though each has their own pros, cons, risks, and issues. Devo is an interesting covered call ETF, and you might find it interesting to spend some time learning about how options work, 
And then if you choose to give them a go, then start and stay small and go slow. As lots of people make mistakes and get burned with options, but also lots of people do well with them. That being said, I like the idea of outsourcing doing covered calls to someone else these days, which is part of the reason Devo looks compelling to me. And now I'll elaborate on part of the reason why I feel that way. So if you're a longtime subscriber of mine, then you know that I've had and have some health issues, some of which are quite serious and can leave me in a heightened state of dropping dead at any moment. It's grim, but true. Now one big health issue I have that I've not talked about is what's called periodic transient amnesia, which is basically a temporary memory loss that keeps happening to me as time goes on. What occurs is that I randomly and suddenly lose almost all my short-term memory, often for just a few hours, though sometimes it lasts longer. Nothing triggers them that we figured out, like it's not from stress, hunger, excitement, fear, surprise, getting frisky with my wife, no patterns that we can figure out, and you know me, I've taken extensive notes trying to correlate things. These memory lapses can happen at any time of the day or night. Now I know when I'm having them, and the first few I had were very frightening to live through, because it's really freaky when you forget most of the things you're keeping in your mind at any moment. But now I've had so many episodes that when I have them now, I at least know it's just a matter of time until everything comes back to me. I was having them about once a month, and that high frequency lasted for over a decade, but then slowly they've been happening less frequently. I'll give you some examples of what it's like for me. Like literally as I'm working on this video, I could have one, and I'd not be able to continue working on it. I'd probably forget how to save the file I was working on in my editor program, and I'd be clueless on how to upload it to YouTube, etc. Heck, I'd not even be able to tell you what tickers I own during my memory lapses. Any complex workflow or process would be temporarily forgotten, even some things you'd think would be simple. Like I wouldn't be able to figure out how to log into Fidelity since I use multi-factor authentication. A kind of funny example of a memory episode I had happened during the pandemic. It was the night of my wife and I's wedding anniversary. The family all knew that I was having one of my mind things as we were having dinner. My daughter was talking about how she wished the lockdown wasn't happening because she wanted to do something with her friend. And I was like, what lockdown? And she goes, Daddy, you know the pandemic. And I literally had zero recollection of what was happening all around the world. I remember sitting there as she told me about the vaccines and everything, and it seemed like she was telling me the plot of a sci-fi movie, not something that was actually happening. Or here's another example. I love playing video games, and there are some that I've played for hundreds or even thousands of hours. But when I have an amnesiatic episode, I even lose my muscle memory of something I've done over and over. Like I wouldn't even be able to remember keyboard combinations that I've done thousands of times in a game I'm addicted to. Fortunately, I know who I am and where I am when I have these memory issues. Now, I've been to dozens of experts around the world, both nationally and internationally, and they were all totally stumped. Apparently, what I have is something that an older person might experience once in their life, but they've never met anyone who's experienced dozens and dozens of these episodes. Literally, one expert said that my case should be written up in medical journals because he thought it was so fascinating. I've been hooked up to medical monitoring devices that I wore for weeks to try to capture what my vitals were during when I had these episodes, but they never figured anything out. Another dead end the doctors tried was putting me on various meds, but ultimately none of them seemed to help. That all being said, when I was younger I did get knocked hard on my head to the point that I had short-term amnesia multiple times, so it's probably tied to that. The first time was when I was BMX biking and I went over a jump and didn't land it right and slammed into the track without a helmet on, because none of us wore helmets back then, and for about a day I was in an amnesiatic episode. I eventually got my memory back by watching a rerun of Magnum P.I. on TV, or it coincidentally came back to me at that point, no one really knows. The other time I lost my memory happened when I was doing a martial arts competition, and someone landed at a roundhouse kick to my head. The ref asked me some questions to see if I was coherent, but I was clearly mentally gone. Now those two episodes were a bit different than my recurring amnesiatic episodes that seemingly started after a severe surgery I went through, and since that surgery I've had tons of the episodes. 
Because of that and some other health issues I have, I can no longer drive a car, so I'm super grateful for Uber and Lyft and deliveries in general, like what Amazon does. I'm really looking forward to level 5 autonomy in cars, as that will give people like me a material quality of life improvement and sense of freedom. That all being said, if you just saw me walking along, you wouldn't be able to notice anything different about me relative to anyone else, so I'm at least lucky in that regard. Anyways, there's more to it than that, but that helps paint the picture a bit as to why leaving my portfolio in a steady state is so important, because there's too high of a probability that I can suddenly be unable to touch it or do anything with it for hours, days, weeks, or even forever, depending on a slew of factors. Thus, something like true passive dividend income means more to me than I think you could truly appreciate, because it's kind of been a lifesaver for me and my family. I was actually able to hide the fact that those episodes were happening to me from all my employers since they started, even though I had episodes that happened while I was at work. I just figured out creative ways I could excuse myself and extract myself from work, though I was always worried that I'd have an episode while I was doing a presentation or something. And all that leads me to one of my learnings that I'd like to share, which is that it's really important for you to temper your negative thinking about whatever is going on in your life. In fact, I read that 10% of positive thinking doesn't make up for 10% of negative thinking, which means that negative thoughts probably hurt you more than positive thoughts help. Sometimes I get comments from people who are down on themselves due to their poor financial planning, and they doubt they'll ever be able to retire. My advice is to try to stop those negative thoughts from taking over. Don't ruminate on the bad stuff in your life and try to look forward. You will succeed if you keep at it, and hey, I'll trade my portfolio for your health, so focus on what you have, even if it's just the ability to see and talk and smell. Another thing that I've learned, or at least that's been drilled into me this last year, is that everything has a price. Every decision you can make can alter your trajectory in life, and each decision has a price and has implications, positive or negative, that will probably impact you. When I was younger, I used to think that the smartest path to take was to do well in school, go to a good college, and then work your way up in your career. Doing that causes a price you'll pay in time studying. You'll pay the price of college loans that you might have to deal with for decades. But the upside is hopefully a good career. Of course, some careers might not have longevity to them, either due to changing market conditions or due to technology evolution, or maybe your job requires you to pay the price of being on call 24-7. Maybe you pay the price of constantly having to respond to emails even when you're on vacation. Everything has a price. I recently hired a plumber to fix a leak, and afterwards I asked him if he liked his job, and he told me that he's had a great life, but after crawling under sinks and in tight crawl spaces for multiple decades, his body was giving out. So while he was happy that he never had to deal with college loans, he was wondering if the price his body has paid was worth it. Later, I was talking to a family friend who was the top medical person in her field at a local hospital, someone who had taken on a bunch of student loans and had spent countless years in school, but now was financially very well off. Yet she talked about the price she was paying being away from her family all the time due to her role, as well as the psychological price of constantly seeing and helping out people who had traumatic injuries. Everything has a price. After I dealt with that leak, I had to hire someone to fix the drywall where the leak originally burst through, and so I hired another guy, and he also loved his job, but he was worried about what the years of opening and patching walls had done to his lungs. Everything has a price. And that reminds me of a Patreon of mine who was telling me how he's been a police officer for multiple decades, and now he's been investing in solid dividend stocks to increase his cash flow. He said that being a patrol cop is a young man's game because of chasing criminals, getting shot at, etc., and that constant risk is a price that he and his family paid and continues to pay. Investing also has a price, and once paid you hope to get a good return down the road. Some people don't invest because they choose to spend their money now, perhaps because they don't know what tomorrow will bring for them, or maybe because they never learned about investing, or perhaps money is simply too tight right now. But the people who invest may also pay a price of having mental stress when stock markets crash or whatever. 
Every decision you make has a price, so it's important to try to weigh the pros and cons and costs of what you do and don't do, and then do what makes sense given all costs and probable returns. I'm really grateful that I took the risk to invest over all those decades rather than just spend my cash in the moment. The takeaway learning is that you need to take calculated risks, or what you lose out on might be bigger than what you realize. That reminds me of a true story about how Kodak, the camera company, actually were the ones that invented digital cameras, but then they failed to appropriately understand the risks and potential returns of their actions and inaction. Kodak had a history of innovation from the time they moved from dry plates to film, from black and white to color. But when one of their engineers actually invented the digital camera in their R&D labs in the 70s, they turned their backs on it. Now to be fair, this was before home computers were a thing. But this engineer figured out that he could take pictures, store them as numbers, and then display those images. He did a series of demonstrations to groups of Kodak executives using his crazy portable digital device he'd created. Each picture took like 23 seconds to save it to a cassette tape he had rigged up to a motherboard he created. Then he'd pop the cassette tape out and put it into a playback device he made. And about 30 seconds later, a 100 pixel by 100 pixel image in black and white showed up. Though the quality was poor, the engineer told them that the resolution would improve rapidly as technology advanced and that it could compete in the consumer market against standard film cameras if they worked on it. He told the execs to think of his digital camera like it was an advanced HP calculator that had a lens, and he even talked about sending images to other people using telephone lines. But the execs weren't convinced that anyone would ever want to look at pictures on something that looked like an HP calculator, and they said that print film had been with them for over 100 years, and no one was complaining about prints, which were also cheap. And they made tons of money as it was, because those days Kodak dominated the camera scene. The execs asked the engineer how long he estimated it would take for the technology to mature enough to be good, and the engineer used Moore's law and he figured he'd need 2 million pixels to compete against color film, so he estimated 15 to 20 years. But the corporate guys couldn't care less about something 20 years in the future, because most of them figured they'd be long gone from the company. Yet they still let him work on it, even though they didn't fully get behind it. Kodak did patent this engineer's digital camera idea in 1978, and that patent helped earn billions for Kodak over the upcoming years, but the engineer unfortunately didn't get a piece of it. And unfortunately, Kodak doesn't even exist today, even with all that patent revenue they received from other digital camera makers who got way ahead of them. Kodak declared bankruptcy in 2012 as cell phone cameras took over digital cameras. So your learning is to closely follow the companies you invest in, as anything can become obsolete. Plus, realize that it's okay if it takes decades for your investments to really pay off. Good things take time and always be planning for the future. And don't always take the easy road. I had a comment from someone who said I gave lousy advice when I said work hard and work smart in one of my videos. He said intelligent people work smart, not hard. I respectfully disagree, and I don't know of any successful people who didn't work their butts off to get there. In my opinion, life is tough and you'll face a lot of suffering along the way. So be okay with suffering doing certain things that move you towards your goals, as long as it's not too insane. And whatever you work on, work on it for decades to really master it. Whether that's your career, your hobby, your investing, or whatever, work hard and work smart. Okay, moving on, another interesting learning I had this year was I found out that when you do a withdrawal of cash from a Fidelity retirement account, it will ask you if you should withhold any cash for federal taxes, and again for state taxes. I thought that was kind of cool, and I selected 0% as I'd rather get cash now and then pay taxes later. Another cool thing I learned in the last year is that Fidelity offers a bunch of ways that you can do automated withdrawals from different types of accounts. I didn't actually dig deep into that as I already have my dividend cash flowing in, but it might be an interesting option for people who hold non-dividend stocks and want to get some automation. Apparently you can do things like select if you want fixed dollar withdrawals or percent withdrawals, and you can select specific stocks or funds and how frequently you want it withdrawn, though they also mentioned that there are limitations. 
I also learned that Fidelity has this thing called Portfolio Advisory Services where they'll charge you 50 basis points annually, i.e. 12.5 basis points per quarter, and then they can help manage things on your behalf, and apparently you have to create a net new type of brokerage account called a managed account. Now I wouldn't be interested in doing that, but I still found it interesting for folks that might want the help. Another thing I learned talking to a Fidelity rep is that the default setting for retirement accounts when you get reinvested dividends is them having a cost base of zero, unlike taxable accounts. I guess brokerages kind of see dividends as free money in IRA accounts, so if you want to track things in your IRA like you do your taxable account, then you need to call them up so they can set that flag in your retirement account. Another new thing I learned this last year came from a subscriber named Ben. He said, if you retire early off dividends and you have $6,500 of non-qualified dividends each year taxes ordinary income, can you still max out your Roth IRA with said ordinary income? So what I think he means is can you use your dividend income as earned income, thus deposit it into a Roth? Well, according to the IRS, it surprisingly looks like the answer is no. The IRS thing says, Compensation for purposes of contributing to an IRA doesn't include earnings and profits from property, such as rental income, interest, and dividend income. So I read that to mean that you can't use dividend income you got to deposit into a Roth, but I'm not a tax guy, so what do I know? Note, I found another IRS document that said that earned income does not include interest in dividends, alimony, or pay you got for work when you were an inmate at a penal institution. So I'm sorry for all my viewers learning about this from their prison cell. Another interesting learning I had was that my international stocks of Toronto Dominion and BTI take longer to process than my US stock dividends do. Like a McDonald's dividend will show up as processing, sometimes days before the payout date if it's a weekend, and you can apparently trade on that unsettled cash if you do after hours trading, which I don't do. But my international stocks don't show up as processing until later in the day on the payout date. Like here's some Seeking Alpha data on Altria from a couple months ago, which shows that the payout date at that time was 7.10 of 23. And here's a screenshot I took in Fidelity on 7.8.23. It shows that I got an Altria dividend for 421 bucks in my IRA, one in my taxable for 2659 bucks, and one in my rollover account for 400 bucks. And you'll notice that it's available to trade in those accounts, but not yet available to withdraw. Speaking of BTI, I also recently learned that while most dividend stocks declare their dividend one to two months before their pay date, BTI declares all four payments in February. Oh, and I thought this was cool too. So how Fidelity does drips behind the scenes is pretty fascinating, at least according to what the rep told me. Apparently two business days before the pay date of a dividend stock, Fidelity does a market buy for all their customers who have the dividend reinvestment plan of that stock enabled. From that big buy, they figure out what the average share price was, which all their customers will then get in terms of what the buy price was. Another thing I recently learned was that you can only trade whole shares during non-standard trading hours, i.e. pre and post market. Trades have to be placed using limit orders due to higher volatility and lower volume. I also learned that when you place an order that has a fractional amount, then it places multiple tranches of orders. One tranche for the whole number and one for the fractional amount, which means each of those tranches could be filled at multiple prices. I also learned that the smallest fractional amount you can buy in Fidelity is a buck. Okay, enough of all that, now let's talk about retirement a bit. I love owning my time these days and dividends have enabled that for me. Whether I'm talking to my friends and family, exercising, vacationing, playing video games, whatever, I really love it. But I read a retirement study that found that retirees spend an inordinate amount of time just watching TV, and the main reason for that is likely due to entering retirement being financially unprepared. Like those retirees would rather go on vacation, but alas, they don't have the moolah they hope for, so they end up vegging in front of TV. A key point this study concluded was to retire to something, not from something. Like I've retired and have a fun hobby of doing stuff on social media, but like Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, don't be pushed by your problems, be led by your dreams. 
The retirement study also found that retirees often spend zero hours per day on educational activities. But I found that learning new things, like financial things I researched, is a way to make your retirement rewarding, and it helps keep your mind sharp. And heck, you know my mind needs all the help it can get. The learning here is work on being a lifelong learner. And along those lines, something I learned this last year are something called spillover dividends, which are also known as throwback dividends. A spillover dividend is a dividend that's announced in one year, but counted as part of another year's income for federal tax purposes. This often happens when a dividend is announced near the end of the calendar year. So that means you pay taxes on the dividend the year it's announced, not the year that you're actually paid the dividend. Tricky, huh? Apparently that can happen with REITs and sometimes with ETFs, so something to be aware of. Anyways, I have a bunch of other learnings I could share, but this is already getting too long, so I'm going to close things down. And now I'd normally do a shout out to my latest Patreon aristocrats and kings, but I'm still all sold out. So instead I'll recognize my all-star Patreons, i.e. those supporters who have been signed up to my Patreon for over a year and continue to stay on board. First I'll call out my longtime kings, which are my highest tier of Patreon supporters. Then I'll recognize my longtime aristocrats. And finally I'll call out my Patreon champions. Thanks folks, I really appreciate your long-term support. Finally I'd like to thank Seeking Alpha who sponsors me. I paid for their premium membership for years because I value their articles and associated comments so much. And these days I'd literally never buy or sell a stock without first reviewing what Seeking Alpha had on it. So I recommend you sign up to them using my affiliate link in the description of this video, as using it often comes with benefits for new member signups. Whatever you do, please hit that thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. And I highly recommend that you join my free dividend discord chat server, which has over 10,000 dividend investors on it from 76 countries around the world. Also please follow me at GenXDividend on X. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.